0: My wife volunteered at our youngest uh, school yesterday during lunch mm-hmm. serving uh, drumsticks in the cafeteria, which is, you know, always a crowd favorite. One little girl's like, hey, watch this. And she like, if you can imagine her holding the drumstick on each end, twists it a bunch of times and then just pulls the bone, like clean out one end. So instead of eating the chicken off the bone, you just remove the bone altogether. My wife says, oh my gosh, look at That's an amazing trick. Where'd you learn that? TikTok. See, TikTok is good for something, isn't it? TikTok is your older brother. It's where you learn all things stuff you shouldn't know quite yet, as well as practical advice.
1: Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts.
0: Welcome to episode number 246 of Touchpoint. I am Reed Smith, joined as always by one Chris Boyer. Yes, Reed, it sounds to me today like you
2: have a really good radio voice.
0: This is a good day for me to do backing tracks uh, for uh, any sort of low you know, harmonics that I need to do for, I don't know what, I don't I don't need to do backing tracks for any reason, but I do have this odd, I feel fine, I had this odd, I've, I've almost lost my voice, it's starting to come back a little bit, so uh, here we are. Well, and I guess that kind of sets up
2: the fact that today is going to be an In Case You Missed It episode, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And this is an interesting one, because I think it's timely. Uh, But we're going back to all the way back to episode number 184, a little over a year ago, August of 2020. Right in the midst of, like I said, the high point
2: of the summertime pandemic last year, when telemedicine was really the rage. Everybody was talking about it. Uh, We even, I think, referred to it in the episode a couple of times about the golden age of telemedicine.
0: The reason we're rerunning this <clears throat> or this particular one is because um, you know, if you think about, it, and we've talked about it before, and many of you have seen it, the Gartner hype cycle, right? You've got this inflection point, something happens, demand goes through the roof, you know, then you get into the trough of disillusionment. And, and now we find ourselves kind of coming out of that into you know a time where we're really trying to evaluate, well, what is telehealth, virtual care, access, Look like alternate care models, things like that. It's interesting to now take another look at this episode that we did around telehealth and the tech stack related to it.
2: That's right. Plus, it gives your voice a much needed break so you can be back with great aplomb next week.
0: Aplomb. Yes. <laughs> uh, also, cool tricks on TikTok. Certainly appreciate the support. Uh, a little bit uh, of an ask if we could uh, visit us over on the old website, the old interwebs at touchpoint.health. You can go there up at the top main navigation. there's the TPS report. If you will sign up for that, uh, you'll get uh, you'll get an email with just a couple of articles to start your week uh, and hopefully that's useful. A couple of links to upcoming conferences, things like that. You can also while you're there obviously find out more about this episode. Uh, episode 184 that we're rerunning, all the other shows on the network, show hosts, topics, all that kind of fun stuff. So we'll take a quick pause here and uh, be back with uh, episode 184 the telehealth tech stack. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors.
2: Sure is, and Reed, consider this, 86% of patients today read online reviews, and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating.
0: Demand, they demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the
2: easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. We were talking today about virtual health or telehealth or telemedicine. We've talked about this a number of times before in our podcast, and we've also, almost every email that we send out with a TPS report, we have some kind of article linked about telehealth and telemedicine. So it's certainly top of mind to us here in the healthcare space lately.
0: The weekly email, certainly, like you said, mentions it. We've talked about it a number of times on the show, in my, in my daily life. We obviously uh, did this as part of the Girard study back in April about telehealth and virtual visits and people's satisfaction around that. We've got a, the second iteration of that. We did another survey and asked more questions around that. And so, again, it continues to be certainly top of mind for folks, especially in the provider space. In this pandemic time, I refer
2: to it as the golden age of telehealth or telemedicine because so many organizations have adopted these tools as a way to stay connected with their patients or even to offer easy ways for people that are remote to diagnose themselves around coronavirus and other things without having to physically come into location. So this is the the era of telemedicine. And it's here to stay.
0: That's right. In these unprecedented
1: times. (laughs)
0: Exactly. Previously, it was president times. Now it's un. There's some reasons for that. Certainly, you mentioned those people, you know, nervous about going in, but... We do have a faster internet connection and some of those types of things that are certainly making it easier for some of this stuff to happen. The technology is there from a connectivity standpoint. And, you know, people are wearing things and have worn things for some years. I remember the Nike, what was it? The Nike Fuel Band? Is that what that thing was called? The Nike Fuel Band, yeah. It was uh, launched at South by Southwest some years ago. I remember when that when that happened. A bunch of Livestrong-related stuff around it. You talk about the, the scales and monitors and you know, all the different things, you know, Apple Watch, for example, you know, that people are used to, to wearing and transmitting that data. Well, now they're able to talk to their provider, kind of in some of the similar sense, and it seems to be popular. And well, it certainly is popular. And the studies
2: that you've been doing at Girard around how patients are adopting and, and their opinions about telemedicine, and we're seeing that evolve more and more. A recent study by Salesforce called The State of the Connected Patient actually showed that younger patients, those those millennials, and even younger, the Gen Zers, they, by a majority, would prefer a telehealth option like video chats and telemedicine patient engagement platforms over actually in-care visits, at least for the initial ways they actually access care. So even generationally, what we're doing is we're moving more and more towards video or telemedicine or telehealth as being a substantial platform. And it's going to be with integrated into our health systems much more significantly.
0: There's no other way around it. And there's a lot of folks that would prefer this method, at least with some encounters. You know, certainly if I'm in the market for joint replacement, probably not. Maybe the initial screening you know, or something like that or initial conversation with a physician as you're trying to think, what physician do I want to go to? Well, that's a pretty good use case for being able to kind of interview and talk to and kind of get a feel for. And, and we thought about eight videos in the past. You know, you'd go on a website and watch videos and, and try to determine, I like this doctor, I don't like this doctor. Probably gives you a little insight into their, some of their bedside manner, et cetera. You can probably do that more in real time now. But if you have a cold or the flu or an ear infection for a kid and stuff like that, it's usually pretty obvious when your four-year-old has an ear infection. Do you really need to go in or do they just need to see, do some basic verification and call you in some drops? I think that's obviously where a lot of the, the use cases are currently There's a variety of different types of
2: ways that you can actually use these platforms. We also didn't talk about things like education, delivering CME classes. That's a telemedicine type of application. Or assisting with diagnosis, maybe follow-up care, maybe just staying connected and having devices staying connected. This really speaks to the fact that telemedicine or telehealth is broad. When we think about the breadth of these applications and these platforms... We thought today it might be interesting to go into the tech stack behind telehealth to get just dig a little bit deeper into the actual different types of applications that are in there. And so the first article we found that we're going to use as a reference point here is from a company called Archer. They are a professional service and uh, software development consulting company, and they wrote an article called Telehealth Technology, What's Under the Hood? And it outlined four technical components of a telehealth solution. Why don't we go into those technologies that are bundled into the various different telehealth solutions that are out there,
0: Reed? First and foremost, probably what most people think of is video conferencing. We're on it all day anyway with Zoom or Microsoft Teams or those types of things. But it's that type of a platform, right? It's live video-based interaction between you, the patient or potential patient maybe, and some sort of the care team, doctor, nurse, etc, therapist, you know, dietitian, whatever it may be. It's real time. It can be, not in all cases, but in a lot of cases is a substitute for that in-person visit. Could be used for consultations, patient observations, which I think that's interesting with some of the chronic illness and things like that, monitoring Uh, health education, training, et cetera.
2: The synchronous application, and there are pros and cons in this article and some of the pros they outlined. First of all, it allows the virtual doctor visit that we, we think about And that's often used when you're trying to reach isolated communities or remote regions. So if you think about, you know, like in Texas, trying to reach a wider spread area to those people that don't want to drive two hours to your hospital or your clinic, it's also good for those homebound patients, patients that maybe are in their home, they have a device that's connected, you can kind of check in with them, kind of do follow ups, and again, not remove them, particularly when it becomes difficult or challenging for them to come to your clinic in person, it can facilitate facilitate collaboration for remote diagnosis, a lot of the visual clues that doctors have when they're treating a patient, they could see that in the synchronous kind of approach. And you could even record these sessions, replay them, you could put them into patient portals, It, it just becomes a convenient way for people that don't have enough time to visit a doctor in person, or they don't want to waste time in a waiting room.
0: The holdbacks or the cons here. It still is technology, and as we talk about, you know, being able to reach some of these underserved areas, and even a conversation in the social determinants of health. Part of that is internet connection. Can the receiving end of this? Uh, do they have good enough connectivity? Certainly, data management equipment is necessary in, in some cases it also it can, not in all cases can require some special technical training. Uh, it might not be the best fit for uh, some folks, I think seniors or the elderly population. And then from just a logistical standpoint, what about coverage, insurance coverage? You know, can you do these things? Will doctors actually do this or are they not getting compensated? Therefore, you know, how reliable is it or how much time are they devoting to it? That kind of thing. You know, video conferencing, certainly in the forefront of all of this little background and and what the uh, pros and cons are.
2: Now, much related to video conferencing, which is, remember, it's synchronous, right? So real-time. There's also an asynchronous method, which in telehealth parlance is sometimes called store-and-forward, and and particularly around imaging. Store-and-forward systems support collection, recording, transmission of health history data through some kind of secure electronic communication system between a specialist and maybe another specialist, or a specialist and a patient. Think about it as like being a place where you can digitally transfer images. You can go through x-rays. But you can also do it via text, via email, video. In this particular case, when you think about this type of telemedicine. It's less of real time and more of let me collect information and get it to you, let you look at it and get back to me model.
0: And I'll go into some of the the pluses here. This does remind me of kind of what we've thought about historically around, you know, Telerad services. And, and that's one of the pros here is healthcare professionals from several hospitals can share information and discuss a patient. As if they were in the same place. And like you mentioned, the MRIs, the x-rays, you know, any sort of that film base can be transmitted to a specialist for a second opinion or even primary opinion, even red, right? As we think about some of the rural facilities that maybe can't employ a radiologist, for example, this is how they they accomplish some of that. It makes it where electronic health records are more easily accessible, and and this has been around for a little bit, so we have some compliance in place relative to privacy or HIPAA laws, and it's a great opportunity. Obviously, with all of this, to, but they call it out here, especially is the you know improved professional education. So again, I think about this a little bit of like recording a Grand Rounds presentation and being able to offer that up to referring physicians. But then if you flip it over onto some of the
2: cons, they're much like some of the others that we mentioned. First of all, you have to make sure these records are very high quality because these low quality records, x-rays, other images can pose a risk if you're not being able to clinically diagnose or treat a patient. Low internet speeds are a big problem here. And in some areas can make virtual communication impossible, very difficult to do. Uh, you're talking about huge file sizes. And the other thing, this type of way is asynchronous. So it's not designed to be real time. In order to do this the right way and be HIPAA compliant, you have to have these high secure modules on both sides of the connection. So there's an investment involved with these store and forward type of models that can be pretty expensive to do.
0: The next one uh, that we're going to talk about is streaming media. Similar, but not really the same as the video conferencing. This is more talking about like remote patient monitoring. So we talked about all those connected devices and things like that earlier. It's, you know, transmitting data to and from devices uh, and whatnot that are going to the provider for care and support. It really provides the patients with more control and better understanding of their health conditions, While clinicians using it can address those negative changes in a timely fashion. You're seeing the information locally, but someone else is remotely also seeing the information. And so... This goes back towards the idea of you know improving the quality of life. And so that relates
2: strongly to some of the pros here. I mean, we're talking both asynchronous and synchronous with uh, RPM and streaming media. So some of the pros are it's been used in a high extent right now with patients that are very high at risk. If done right, you could use these systems for early detection or even potentially noncompliance with their care path or even deterioration in their care. I think about this a lot of these remote monitoring monitoring facilities where you have a call center kind of looking and observing the patient every day just to check in with them to make sure that they're not deteriorating. The continuity of care really is an important piece here. Oftentimes this is used when uh, very complex patients are discharged from the hospital. It allows you to monitor and and doctors have used these types of systems to actually adjust prescriptions, increase better communications between the doctor and the the patient, and then also for educating. And support because oftentimes when you're recovering from some kind of complex disease, your condition may change over time. And so your care has to be changed along with that. And that gives you easier access from your living room to that nurse or the clinician. And
0: then ultimately, they say it it allows for better patient engagement. Some of the drawbacks, special medical devices, if you think about you know, needing to monitor things in real life, certainly that requires technology, probably that, uh, at least in some cases, people don't have and requires some sort of a financial investment. We're still transmitting data, so that obviously is a concern for a lot of folks around privacy and more specialists needed to process and interpret the data. Of course, this has to go somewhere. People have to look at it in a timely fashion for it to be worth what it is that you're doing. I mean, it's still technology. These are you know potentially pieces of hardware that are somewhere that then someone has to service and you know those types of things. If you have technology, it's going to break at some point or not work or you know cause an issue or something like that. The
2: last grouping of telehealth solutions is one that's. Probably much broader than the rest. And that's what they call mHealth or mobile health solutions. This is really all of the smart devices, wearable technologies. They estimate that this year about 500 million people all over the world are using these particular types of mHealth applications and devices. This is a big, broad, bold new
0: territory this does or can have increases in in accuracy around data and access to data. Certainly, could in a more timely fashion facilitate that diagnosis or the accurate diagnoses. It's certainly focused on the you know personalized or per, precision based medicine. Sometimes people call it that preventative and predictive functionalities. So that's really cool. It's a great management mechanism for for chronic uh, illness and, and folks that deal with different diseases. And then it obviously encourages you know better patient uh, commitment obviously though because it's
2: sort of a wild west there's a lot of issues data security is not always protected particularly you know in, in these unsecure connections so it's not like the emr or the store and forward kind of method there's no formalized unified way to track data no integration with many of the emrs right now And you have to continually update the apps. I know these apps get updated so often. And you think about the new Apple Watch that may come out, you may need to get the new Apple Watch because it has better EKG monitoring, for example, that gets into like sort of a slippery slope. I think there's a lot of opportunities in this space, but I also think that on the downside, it's all over the place right now, not connected to the, the standardized way to transfer healthcare information. After the break, why don't we jump into some of the technologies that are used behind telemedicine apps? And we'll do that right after this break. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media.
0: Now it's The Wizard of Oz time, the man behind the curtain. (laughs) Seemed like that should have been a good movie. We should have watched over quarantine, but anyway. (laughs) So let's, let's talk a little bit about this. Certainly, we've talked about technology in some of those previous articles. This article specifically is from techiest.com. Is that right? Or techiest, T-E-C-H-E-E-S-T.com. I'm going with techiest.com. The name of the article is uh, Tech Stack and the, and the Technologies used Behind Telemedicine App Development. This was an interesting
2: article because it gets into the actual technologies that make telehealth apps that much more effective and much more powerful. And of course, we're not going to get into like, you know, secure HL7 communication that gets a little too deep here. But, spoiler alert, as we go through this, pull out your touchpoint bingo cards because many of these technologies we've talked about before.
0: In the free space in the middle is HL7, because you just mentioned it. (laughs) (laughs) Let's jump in. There's a few here. I'll start with the first one, the technologies uh, that they mentioned that are used in this app development. First and foremost, uh, AI or artificial intelligence. This is probably not a big stretch considering we talk about it relative to... uh, just about everything. It's implemented uh, obviously in the learning process because that's where you get a lot of your value out of this. And so telehealth solutions can improve the diagnoses and treatment recommendations, things like that by monitoring patients' cases all over. And it obviously enhances over time the algorithm. So you get uh, better recommendations as time goes. It also helps, they say, in um, a repetitive task like Uh, Entering data into EMRs and trying to, you know, kind of that efficiency, reducing workload. Another technology on the back end is big data technology.
2: Now there, if you're playing bingo at home, we haven't talked about big data in a while. There's a huge amount of data that's generated each day from these different interactions and so if you want to find the, the most value from your apps, you want to tap into big data technology, which uses information to analyze, process it, understand patterns, derive different valuable solutions. Big data combined with AI, that becomes next level.
0: Big bingo. We're going to go B4 on this <laughs> one. No, it is blockchain. So we can't can't have a technology (laughs) discussion about blockchain, but it's the technology that that ensures that the sense of patient's data is well encrypted to protect it from data breaches and things like that. And And we'll see, obviously, that's a lot of the value of blockchain as we've seen it in the cryptocurrency space and things like that is the security part of it. Related to blockchain, too, is cloud storage. If you use cloud services in telemedicine,
2: it helps to improve security and privacy controls of the telemedicine app, but it also improves the response time. You can't build it all on an encrypted end-to-end connection. Well, you kind of have to, but cloud storage is ramping up now so that it can amplify and make these apps more productive. And this helps a lot when you're talking about asynchronous or real-time types of connectivity. So cloud storage is one of those other technologies.
0: Cloud storage. And then uh, much like we mentioned AI earlier, we also have uh, AR and VR. Bingo. <laughs> <laughs> the idea of implementing augmented reality and telemedicine, that's an interesting use case, especially if you think about how it may help doctors to operate more efficiently. To have those augmented reality conference calls, discuss patient cases, check work reports, digital interface—you know, using a digital interface, etc. I mean, if you think about this, even from a training and education standpoint, you think about the physician thing of learn, do, and then teach. If you think about the way, like the AR VR play uh, plays into that, it's really fascinating. And so, you've seen the Da Vinci kind of console where people sit at it and do that, Which, speaking of, I've done that and it's really hard. But you're almost like playing a video game, right? Think about like case reviews and and, and whatnot. The AR, VR space can be really interesting as you think about telehealth. I'm convinced, Reed, one of our next telehealth consults is going to be done in Animal Crossing. You know? (laughs) (laughs) Or Fortnite. My son is already a subspecialist. (laughs)
2: exactly the last technology that they indicate here is that uh internet of things which is that's a wild card if you're playing bingo internet of things could be like all over on your bingo card because that's anything from like fitness trackers pulse checkers stress meters anything that has like an app that can transmit data to and from all of these other technologies that's related to health. And they're building it into your shoes and into your socks and clothes. IoT is just a huge, huge area. If they build a system, if the physicians can build a system that can tap that data and mine that data using all the aforementioned technologies – Wow. Talk about the advent of personalized medicine that can be delivered
0: virtually. That's a huge promise for where we're going with this. It really is. The interesting part is going to be how fast we go there or how fast we get there. I think it's inevitable, certainly, that this is the way this is going to happen. You, know, you had the the point in time where it was house calls and the Norman Rockwell painting of the doctor sitting bedside or on the edge of you. And then... You know, we've gotten to where we have been over what's been our lifetime, I guess. And now hey, we're moving into this virtual space.
2: We're moving there very, very fast. What is that? The favorite
0: quote of yours from McKinsey? This is from I don't know a month ago or so, but that uh, study based uh, a study that McKinsey and Company did said that based on you know interviewing and talking to folks that digital adoption by consumers has uh, vaulted five years into the future just over the course of eight weeks.
2: That's where the future is. As we're talking about telemedicine and telehealth, it's important for us to understand the tech stack because the applications can go many, many different ways. With that, why don't we turn to an interview that I did just recently with the CEO of a virtual health company called Zipnosis? They're here in the Twin Cities. Jonathan Pierce and I had a chance to catch up and talk a little bit about what he's seeing as a person that is leading an organization and development of a telehealth platform. Some of the experience that he's seen with his clients and where, you know, the various different trends that are coming out of this pandemic era that's impacting how he's looking at the future of where telemedicine is. And we'll do that right after this break.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform
2: that supercharges your selling, Welcome back to the Ask the Expert section of the podcast, and today I am delighted to be talking with someone I just recently got to know, but it seems that in a few conversations I've had, John, you and I are very much aligned in our perspectives of things, and that's John Pierce. John, welcome to
1: the show. Thanks. It's awesome to be here and and chatting with uh, sort of a, a digital marketing soulmate, if you will. (laughs) There's a lot of us out there. It's just good when we get
2: connected together. And it's interesting that in this day and age, we use technology to connect because there's no such thing as meeting people in real life anymore. I know. It's been good for my image. Let's just say that. So people that might not know you, John, um, would you mind sharing a little bit about your
1: background and your experience? Today, I run a company called Zypnosis. Um, and we are a virtual care company. Um, I started that back in uh, 2008 with the idea that the cell phone was going to be the clinic of the future. And it took a decade and, and a global pandemic to really kind of <laughs> see that come to fruition. But it's been a really, uh, a really interesting journey along the way, and have learned a ton about not only you know the healthcare landscape, but also a lot about how consumers interact with healthcare and technology, and and that that just creates a a fantastic opportunity uh, not only for this conversation but I think just generally uh, moving forward and in, in how it's going to continue to transform how we think about healthcare so I have a formal degree in Russian language and computer science I tell people I don't speak Russian well or program, and so I do what I do on a a regular
2: basis. (laughs) That's great. So 12 years doing telemedicine or telehealth. Wow. That perspective of this segment of the industry, we've been talking a lot lately about telehealth, particularly in the pandemic. I actually call the pandemic sort of the golden age of telehealth or telemedicine, so to speak. But you must have seen this industry shift over the years significantly.
1: It's been tremendous. And when we launched in 2010, we were sort of minute clinic on the iPhone, we actually direct a consumer company. And so it was a Zypnosis branded service. And we launched in Minnesota, we partnered with a local health system here called Park Nicolet, and they were kind of the clinical back end of it. But we were selling $25 virtual visits direct to consumer back in 2010. And where we've gone from that point in time, and it was, by the way, it was way too early, right? It was mm-hmm. a great, you know, the tech mm-hmm. worked, everything. It felt really good, but it's just a horrible business. But to go from that point in time where it was absolutely the wrong move in the market to today where you have companies like Roman and Him's and hers and all these direct to consumer companies that have, you know, multiple billion dollar valuations. It's been just a, a fascinating ride, and and certainly we've we've participated in a, in a lot of those.
2: It's been top of mind recently, obviously, because of the coronavirus pandemic. Telemedicine suddenly was something that many health systems did a rush to launch. One thing that I see is experiencing the technology prior to, maybe not as long as you have, but prior to this, as well as now, it seems to me that telemedicine solutions that are out there, they, they can't all be lumped together as one particular thing. I'm almost thinking of it as, as like there's a telemedicine stack that we can think of from a technology perspective. What are your thoughts on
1: that? Absolutely. And, and that's actually where, where I started with Zip. And it was, it was a user experience. So if you unpack the name Zipnosis, it, it kind of means two things. The Zip part is about bringing what I saw as consumer-grade experiences into healthcare. And the Gnosis is more of an economic thesis that we have to use technology to drive the cost of healthcare um, as low as possible. I looked back in 2008 and 2009 at every other service I used from Amazon and StubHub to online banking and the question I kept coming back to was, when was the last time I bought anything on Amazon with a video visit? You haven't, right? And I think to your point, we're at a really interesting intersection where the the tech, when you talk about telemedicine, it's still anchored very much in, I need to do a, a video visit um, with a provider, but that's not even where we're going to be, you know, a year or two from now. And this this market is going to continue to evolve. And so we really believe very strongly and, and we see this in consumer behavior the technologies that are anchored in that video based are seeing you know traction today but it's going to be short lived because consumer preference has already been established outside of healthcare and and it's going to be a race to see who can build those experiences better faster and that's where we've been for for a decade and honestly it was part of why we weren't as successful because we really took a more consumer focused approach to to the to the experience but now's our time to shine and so absolutely the, not not all of them are created equal and it's certainly telemedicine's heyday today but i think when we look forward um, a couple years you're going to see the ones that took those consumer-grade experiences who didn't just focus on video are going to be the ones that are ultimately successful in this market. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective. I even made that mistake, you know, mistaking
2: this as being like a video consult, so to speak. But we are now, as consumers, we're we're now becoming very adept at being able to communicate with people through technology, through a variety of means. And so what do you see that the, how the consumer patterns are shifting, and, and, and how is that going to influence the evolution of the platforms?
1: So a couple of things to understand. The telemedicine industry has been highly regulated, over-regulated for so long, and part of what's enabled it to flourish in this COVID environment is sort of a, a rapid uh, decreasing amount of regs that are put on, on telemedicine, which is great. But one of the things that kept video as the primary sort of interaction mode were regulatory requirements so you had to do sort of a real-time audio-visual. That's kind of the language they use in, in the legislation. Well, what we know because of where we sit and how we, we just license the software to healthcare providers and they, they kind of run it, we know that 80% of consumers mm-hmm. don't choose to do, 80 to 90% will not choose to do a video-based uh, interaction. Hmm. Once you get rid of the regs, and that's why I say I think the, the winners in this are going to be ones that are adopting non-video ways to communicate, whether or not that's chat or these a- adaptive interviews. Because the consumer preference, right, in this post-COVID world is very clear. We don't want to do video visits. Not that there isn't a point or a role for it, but generally when you're looking for fast and easy, that's the choice that a consumer will, will make. I also wonder if the consumer
2: perception of these platforms is shifting because prior to the pandemic, we weren't really forced to use technology to have those interactions. And, you know, there's been this conversation working in hospitals and things that healthcare is still delivered face to face. Yet, I'm seeing now more and more things are being pushed online. I get my groceries now, I, I order it through the app, and I go pick it up in front of the grocery store. And again, these are things that are happening because of the pandemic. Do you think that that i don't know how to say it maybe the quality or the veracity of a televisit, whatever that might be video or not do you think that that's starting to establish itself as being a credible way to have a care connection
1: like a lot of things the veracity argument isn't real so we know from our data that our encounters are statistically have better outcomes than a face-to-face visit we've been able to prove that for over a decade because what we don't appreciate is that in a lot of a lot of clinical interactions is the role of that human, right? And when you use technology in a smart way, it can overcome things like a physician forgetting to ask a question or over-prescribing a medication just to make you happy, but it's not the right clinical decision um, at the end of the day. So I think this, it, this really does open up hopefully a lot of good discussion about the, the real benefits of changing the way that we approach healthcare. And we have spent so many billions of dollars and decades building and researching clinical algorithms, protocols, care guidelines, but they largely just sit on the shelves. That's really the power of, of what I what I think is, is happening in, in virtual care and telemedicine is now we can have the conversation and go, actually, this could be really good for us, right? And instead of just having to be in person, look at all the other things that we can do so I absolutely think that, and I think the data is very, very strong, that technology-assisted virtual care is going to be a very, very good for us long-term. I would
2: agree with you on that, and I think the trends are pointing towards that. However, I can't help but think that the many of the the organizations that are embracing these solutions, particularly through the last couple of months, they're ones that have these preconceived biases, right? Health systems kind of looked at telemedicine a certain way or telehealth as a certain type of application,
1: and they fit it into certain ways. Do you see that shifting? It was evolving, um, and you know we've got over fifty health systems who license the, the platform today, so we have a, a pretty good cross section of, of behavior. And I would say the more progressive ones had done an okay job of of looking at telemedicine and virtual care, largely around uh, patient acquisition. So how do they go and, and approach the younger, healthier patients that are out there who have a lot of choices? You know, have um, a lot of discretionary um, healthcare dollars to spend. What's happened post COVID is it's really forced. The healthcare providers to assume that virtual care is a part of their daily practice, and not only just in how they practice medicine, but also how they get paid. And I think we can't underestimate the the importance of aligned reimbursement models for these healthcare providers. I think that's absolutely changing it from kind of sidecar, maybe a part of a digital strategy, to This has to be an assumed part of care delivery for us, not just for young, healthy patients, but everyone.
2: The provider acceptance of this is significant. I think reimbursement is part of that, too. But I think it's also shifting their perceptions a little bit in how the tools can be used. Because I just was recently speaking to a a pediatrician friend of mine, and he has a bias against telemedicine. He would prefer to have that sort of inpatient communication. And he says, because I was trained as a physician to get the visual clues, right, of when you're face-to-face, how do you get better provider
1: adoption of these tools? Well, first of all, it's a process, right? And the thing, especially for physicians and, and especially pediatricians, these are people who care a lot about the quality of care that they're, they're delivering. And, and so I think bringing data and evidence that says, listen, you can pick up on these subtle hints, and you can still practice really good medicine, even in kids, without having something face-to-face. I think those are really important conversations to have, and it will take some time. There's no doubt about it, and and it would be foolish to just assume, I mean, I love virtual care and telemedicine, but it's not right in in all the the situations. Uh, I do think, though, it it is time to make sure that physicians are not putting up the sort of the traditional, well, I, I can't get a good quality medical exam, or I can't make a good clinical decision. I would challenge that um, a lot more, and I think we're going to see um, a lot more use cases. And honestly, I think a lot of the the physician pushback was, uh, you know, around reimbursement. Do I get paid for it? And something new. But a lot of it was just like it was different. And when you're forced to do it, they're like, yeah, actually, that wasn't too bad. <laughs> you know, like, right. like I could actually, make, I could do this on a regular basis. You're right. There will be a, a group and a segment of of the population and providers who. Do take a little bit more time, and that's that's totally acceptable. And the use cases, I, I'm i a digital guy,
2: so I have to use the term use cases, <laughs> right? But the right. use cases of the, the virtual visits can be applied in many different ways. I, I know, you know, historically it's been, well, we're going to use it for primary care, family medicine kind of applications. Maybe we'll do some uh, behavioral health consults, et cetera. That's been the kind of the traditional way to look at these platforms. Yep. But I see it now that there's an opportunity opening up to
1: seamlessly integrate it at various different touch points for even complex care. I mean, think about banking. I mean there's a great analogy in there for a whole bunch of different things on the tech side, but 30 years ago, you would go into the bank in the same way that you would do a healthcare and you're like, I'm going to the doctor. I'm going to the bank to do this thing. Now, you don't go to the bank, right? You have an ATM for this. You have a mobile app that does that, right? I mean, it's a much more integrated experience, and it's changed that. And healthcare is going to do the same thing. It won't be just about going in to do this thing with a physician or a doctor. You will be interacting. And and this is kind of the thesis that that we've had here, which is you're moving from these discrete events into a stream of interaction. And that's going to require us to think very differently, not only about how we market it and message to patients, but also the technologies that support them. That same trend that you saw in banking is going to be is happening here within healthcare, care um, and much more rapidly than I think we, we give ourselves credit for.
2: That's a really great analogy, because as you were describing that, I thought, oh, yeah, you know, initially, I thought ATM was just a place where you just, you know, you get your money, you get cash or whatever. But now I'm using my app, and I'm using a variety of different things, which kind of speaks to the fact that the virtual health platforms have evolved right now. We have remote patient monitoring, we have synchronous and asynchronous communications, we have video consults, we have text based
1: consults, and a variety of different platforms that you can use now to solve different needs. And think about too it. You know, from a marketing perspective, it used to be, you know, you know the Norman Rockwell. I, well, I've got my doctor that I go to, right? And that's that's kind of how you were associated now. And we see this with a lot of the systems that we work with. I don't have a banker, right? I don't have a doctor either, but I bank at Wells Fargo. And I think the same thing, especially for healthcare providers, is how are they evolving the marketing, and their messaging for this new world where it's less about the the physician or that relationship with a particular person and more about an experience that's going to happen out, certainly outside of the four walls of the hospital, but in a lot of different environments. And I think that's going to be a really a really powerful shift, and there will be people that do it well, and there will be those that, that do it very poorly and, and struggle with that.
2: That is also something that I've been thinking about, and that, you know, when this pandemic first hit, the reason why we launched these virtual care platforms is because we didn't really want to bring patients into the physical setting. We were still, as health systems, trying to figure out how to do that safely, and so we were, in effect, kind of imparting the message of use these platforms because they're safer, but stay away unless you're really, really sick. (laughs) But now we're going to have to shift the messaging around these platforms a little bit to speak to the larger message of how does this integrate now into your day-to-day life?
1: It's crude, but I think it's true that COVID was the best marketing for telemedicine that could happen and pushing it out to, I mean, I think Medicare went from, you know, 1% or 2% adoption to 45% of the visits were done virtually, you know, over that period of time. Historic by any any industry any any time ever, really. That kind of that kind of change in in the trajectory and it, with it will come a lot of unintended consequences and opportunities. And I think you hit on one that's really important, which is this isn't just to prevent you from getting sick it is a it is a viable way to maintain your health and uh, that will be an interesting transition as it, as we continue to adopt virtual care i know that when we first were talking about
2: virtual care you know a number of years ago it was oh we can we can extend out to these rural areas to the areas that are previously underserved but i worked at a health system within new york city virtual care was used by people that live just cross town you know i mean really close by because it had other benefits for the patients that are reusing it. I think that that's again like these old per- misperceived biases that are kind of getting in our way of really seeing the value of where these platforms can
1: head. I, I totally agree and, and again some of this is also back to regulations. There's a lot of money that you know was poured into sort of rural infrastructure and that was big bandwidth. Um, one of the changes um, that has happened within the telemedicine industry um, and I think a really imp- a good one um, over the past year has been Moving from it's about rural to underserved markets or areas because to your point there are underserved communities in an urban environment and those could be Medicare Medicaid deserts or silos and those kind of things and so I think even the industry is getting more aware that this isn't just about a geography that there are these underserved pockets everywhere and we need to be paying
2: attention to those and when we start talking about underserved pockets it, my mind also shifts to uh, the influx of retail healthcare. And we, we've been seeing entrants, right, coming into the market. Like just recently, there's been a lot of hullabaloo around Walmart Health and how they're going to be launching. And they're, they're taking some very aggressive pricing models. They're labeling this as retail healthcare, care. But in effect, I think that virtual care has been a retail health
1: solution for, for many years. It just hasn't been categorized that way. Is that, is that fair? I think so. And and certainly when you look at consumers, the, the place where you saw traction was largely on, on sort of a retail or direct to consumer basis, right? I think what's really exciting too about kind of that retail model is is the economics that it starts to unlock. Because it's desperately needed in healthcare. I mean, we we just can't continue on this this cost trajectory forever. You know, we've been able to generate an eighty-nine second clinical work time over a decade. In other words, For 10 years, it's only taken a physician on an average 89 seconds to make a diagnosis that is statistically better than an in-person visit. And you think about that, and that suddenly changes the cost curve. Not just a little bit, it dramatically changes that. The more that we can look at technology-assisted models, whether or not it's retail or insurance-based, I think we're going to see a lot of innovation in the right direction um, around the economics of healthcare. And certainly virtual care has the potential uh, to really unlock that. Yeah, a big promise
2: for sure to do that. So you clearly have your pulse on where this industry is headed. I'm just curious as you know you look forward, where do you see this industry moving? Uh, you know, is it our health systems going to continue to be the ones that are going to be partnering with companies like yourself, or is it going to become like more of like an Amazon like Model right, where these big technology companies are going to come in and do it, basically open up a new, whole new economy.
1: I'll start with I, I think an easy one, which is you know we're moving from a world where let's say you know we did five or ten million virtual visits last year in the U.S. to a hundred million. I think that trajectory is well underway, and I don't see that changing. Whether or not that happens over three or ten years, I couldn't tell you, but we're on that that trajectory for sure. Um, and everybody we talk to you know, on the provider side or the payer side, and and again, sort of on the patient sides, it's now a part of, of healthcare delivery. And COVID isn't just going to go away tomorrow. This notion that it's just going to revert back, I think, is, is false. So well, first of all, we're moving into a totally different world where there will be hundreds of millions of virtual encounters that are happening annually instead of tens of millions. I, I think the other thing that's going to happen is healthcare is, and it's already been happening with kind of retail and others, but it's really getting disaggregated. And the provider systems are, are struggling with how do you maintain, you know, the physical footprint, but also understand that your world is getting kind of blown up and it's, and it's happening in the homes and it's happening in, on the cell phones of patients. And I do think this is, you know, back to the, the point of this podcast here is I think the people, the, the companies and the entities that can connect with that consumer can project a brand. That creates an experience that isn't just about a physical footprint in healthcare are going to be really successful. I think those that are that continue to be anchored in come to my place and I will treat you are going to struggle long term. I still think you know the healthcare is is largely trust based, um, and so the provider systems have a tremendous head start on that on that front. You know to project their brands. But their, their challenge is going to be how do they move out of sort of the old model of thinking? I think that will be one of the biggest shifts that we see in the next few years.
2: It kind of reinforces that whole thought that your digital approaches, your digital touch points with your your customers have to revolve around your customer. They yep. have to right. embrace their needs, right? right? Shocking. That's sometimes very difficult for organizations to embrace that. And we as health systems have to put aside our hubris around we've built very sophisticated systems that have worked for a while, but the world is changing. The demographics are changing, the consumer has changed. You left me thinking about a lot of things with this conversation. There's so much to get into and we'll have to have you back on again to go deeper on some of these topics because there's so much to the story here. For those people that are listening in and they may want to continue the conversation with you and your company online, what are
1: some ways that they can find you? So LinkedIn is, I'm pretty active there. Um, you can find me at Jonathan uh, Day Pierce um, at LinkedIn. And then you can check out zypnosis.com insights for more uh, info around Zip. We'll link to those in the show notes. And I'm also going to link to
2: your uh, Twitter account there, Zypnosis John. So I'll link to that as well. Perfect. Well, John, thanks so much for your time today. It was really great. Thank you.
1: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
0: All right. Well, that was what episode number 184 from August the 12th, twenty twenty the telehealth tech stack. And again, another thanks, a second thing, second round of thanks to Jonathan from Zyndonosis from coming on and, uh, and sharing some, uh, some great, some great knowledge there. All right. Another quick plug for the uh, TPS report. If you'll go over to the website, touchpoint.health, you can sign up there. tell you a little bit about upcoming conferences, all that kind of fun stuff uh, as well as uh, some great articles to start your week. And let's uh, do a couple of recommendations.
2: Reed, I'm going to recommend an app that has a great deal of utility. Here in the state of Minnesota, they have a statewide immunization record uh, that they do. So anytime you get your, not only your vaccinations for COVID, but your flu vaccinations and any other kind of like measles, mumps, rubella, that sort of thing, they all get tracked at the state level. And recently they've been indicating that you could download an app called Docket where it pulls all your immunization records there, and you have it as a proof. It's kind of their version. Well, I would say not the state's version, because when I downloaded it, I found out that it's available for many different states are using this as a way to um, manage their sort of their tracking of any kind of immunizations you may have. Of course, you know, in the COVID time, um, immunization proof is very important, but it also is very useful because you could pull in your family members, et cetera. It was free, completely free. And if you live in a state that has the ability where you can actually pull that information, I would strongly recommend try leveraging that because it's much easier then navigating into your patient portal and pulling out like any kind of immunization records you may have. Not that you present them that often, but if you ever go traveling, particularly overseas, uh, you might need that. So this is my recommendation. It's called Docket.
0: Nice. I just downloaded it, so I'll uh, have to check it out. It makes total sense. There are several places you could potentially go that you need to show that type of information, a concert or you know, some large gathering or something like that. So. All right. Well, very cool. All right. I am recommending... If you're a State Farm customer, they have something called Drive, Safe, and Save. And it's an app. And you put a little uh, little beacon in your vehicle. And it monitors your driving and gives you discounts on your policy. So if you don't brake hard, you don't uh, speed, you don't talk on the phone, you know, distracted driving, things like that. Here's the reason I downloaded it. Well, one, you save money. But two, it it is an indication, you know, it kind of works with my personality. Like I want a good score, right? Uh, (laughs) I want a good score. You know, this is a way that, you know, will make me not look at my phone when I'm driving. (laughs) Because Big Brother's watching you. Exactly. No, because I want to save money. I want like a really good score and stuff like that. And so I know I shouldn't be looking at my phone. And so this is just a good way to uh, at least start forming, you know, good habits, right? I'm not so much worried about the speeding part or the hard braking or, you know, that kind of thing. But it's, you know, certainly uh, as you think about distracted driving, that's a bigger and bigger thing. Want to be a good role model for the kids, you know, that kind of stuff. So everybody's already watching anyway. You might as well save a little money and form some good habits. So there you go. There you go. I'm sure other insurance companies have something similar, but I just think it's kind of interesting. I've been using it for a few months now, and um, yeah, so if anybody wants to compare uh, driving records, just let me know.
2: One day, maybe we'll get an interface where I can compare my driving to your driving, and we can do like sort of a clout-like approach towards driving.
0: Yeah, these are. this is really your new clout score, is what this is.
2: <laughs> love it. I love it.
0: Well, very cool. Well, uh, great episode, very timely. Uh, hopefully I will have a voice next week. Uh, thanks everybody for hanging in there. Uh, for Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.